Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hey, Res Church family, this is Bishop Joseph Matera. So glad that you decided to spend time with us today. And I know there's other people who are watching this for the first time. You're not part of our family. But you know what? Welcome to the family. We're a family of families. We'd love to get to know you. And we hope that you comment so that we can get to know you better. Uh, today, we're dealing with the story of David, part three. And it's going to be focused on David and the relationship with his son, Absalom. So let's just pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd give us your wisdom and understanding. Father, we pray that we'd learn the lessons from these amazing narratives, that, God, we would not make the same mistakes, that we'd be wiser, we'd have more discernment, and that we would know how to work together in the context of our church and our local relationships at home and in business. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're dealing with David and Absalom. If you missed the story of David part one and two, you could go back on the YouTube uh, channel and station and you could look that up. So my objective today is to show how easy it is for the enemy to usurp spiritual authority. How easy it is for the enemy to usurp spiritual authority. Some questions we want to ask ourselves while I'm speaking on this subject is, do I respect and honor spiritual leaders that God has put in my life? Do, do I understand how difficult it is for those in leadership positions to make decisions and guide the church? Do I side with those who complain about my spiritual leaders and will I be known as a person who is loyal to biblical principles or to those who are loyal to flatterers and only my close friends? Do I understand the great love that God the Father has for me by allowing his son to be betrayed so I can be forgiven, experience his victory, and walk according to his assignment in our life? So we're going to 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting with verse 1. And basically, the backdrop to this story is that Absalom was very uh, upset because his brother Amnon raped his full sister, and his sister, whose name was Tamar, was Absalom's full sister, but Amnon's half-sister. Okay, and so there was probably some competition there, and there was probably some underlying issues between the siblings. But David seemed to repeat the sins of Eli, who, as we remember in the series on Samuel, in the first part of Samuel, uh, that Eli was judged by God because he was passive. He saw that his sins, Hophni and Phinehas, were doing wicked things, and all he did was reprimand them verbally, but he never removed them. He never brought any consequences. And we see that even after Amnon slept with his half-sister and literally raped her, it says that David didn't do anything about it. And two years passed, and Absalom was furious at Amnon. And he was simmering on the inside, and we find in 2 Samuel chapter 14, that Absalom took matters into his own hands 
and he actually murdered Amnon. So we pick up in the story in 2 Samuel 15, and we see that Absalom began to provide himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. So he was furious at his father. He seemed to be a passive aggressive. He never said anything to his father. His father never said anything to him. And they never said anything to Amnon. It says that Absalom never said anything good or bad to Amnon. So what a dysfunctional family. They never spoke about things. They weren't transparent. They weren't communicating. But the anger just built up and built up and built up. And even though Absalom feigned loyalty to his father David, inside he had no respect for him, I guess because of his inactivity related to Amnon. And so he provided for himself 50 men to run before him. And it says, Absalom would rise early and stand beside the gate. And whenever anyone had a lawsuit or came to the king for a decision, Absalom would call and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your case looks good, but there's no deputy or no representative of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who had any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. So it was when anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand, take him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel, came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This is how he got back at his father. Instead of confronting his father, instead of trying to have a better relationship with his father, uh, he basically stole the hearts of the nation away from his father out of anger and out of disrespect. And he did this, and it says for, at verse 7, he kept on doing this for four years. And then after four years, it tells us, in verse 10, that Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you will say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And then Absalom went with 200 men, and they uh, went about, offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. And a messenger came to David, verse 13 says, and the hearts of men of Israel are with Absalom, they told David. David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. As we've said repeatedly, David foreshadows the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways. One of the ways is the deep and dark betrayal he suffered at the hand of someone very close to him. With David, his betrayal came at the hand of his own bio biological son, Absalom. And with Jesus, it came from one who was in his inner circle, one of the 12 apostles he chose, Judas Iscariot. Unfortunately, the closer someone gets to you, the more deeply they can wound you. There are many people who are hearing this message today that have had their lives and hearts shattered because of betrayal, due to betrayal. And I hope throughout this message you will allow God to heal you through his son who was wounded so that we could be made whole, spirit, soul, and body. So back to the story now in 2 Samuel 15. So we see that he provided himself uh, with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. So Absalom began to promote himself. So a red flag in our life is anytime somebody begins to promote themselves and at the same time subtly throw digs at their leader or 
your leader, we understand that there is something brewing and we need to do something about it and not be fooled by them. He got 50 men to run before him and uh, essentially betrayers usually begin to gather disciples and people to themselves before they make their move. They have their own congregation, so to speak. They have their own clique, their own crowd. So this way, when they make their move, they're not alone. They already have people who are loyal. Uh, Paul warned the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20 that he said, after my departure, grievous wolves will come. And he described these wolves as those who draw away disciples after themselves. And so it may not be someone who always gossips or slanders, but somebody who points to themselves instead of to the leaders of the church and the vision of the church is already in the process of causing division, whether they know it or not. So Absalom had 50 people in the beginning. Eventually, a conspiracy arose from those 50, and it overtook the whole nation and influenced the whole nation. It says that Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. Um, and what does that mean? Well, he was standing in the gate because the gate was where the most influential people of the nation gathered. That's where they made decisions. That's where the elders were, the family heads, the heads of the tribes. That's where they made the decisions related to uh, how they were to govern their tribes, their households, and even the direction of the whole nation. So he would arise early. Uh, betrayers work hard because they have their own agenda. Uh, they won't work hard for you, but they'll work hard for themselves. So he rose early. He put himself in a position. He postured himself to be in proximity to power so he can garner influence. And uh, oftentimes betrayers try to get close to the senior pastor and even the elders so that they will not suspect anything and at the same time undermine them behind their back. And so it says, whenever anyone had a lawsuit came to the king, verse 2, he would say, your servant uh, is from such and such, from a tribe. And Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. Well, Absalom was a representative of the king. And so that's another red flag. When somebody who's supposed to represent the leader of the church or the business or the entity says that there is no representative or instead of representing the good of the vision of the church or the heart of the leader, but they claim to distance themselves from it, that's a red flag. That's somebody you don't want to associate with. And then he says, oh, that I was made judge in the land, so that if anyone had a lawsuit or a cause, I would bring them justice, and he would take them and kiss him. And so a betrayer will show love, they'll feign loyalty to you, they'll show you more affection, they'll even give you more access than you will get from the leader because quite frankly, the leader is very busy and they don't have all the time in the world to schmooze with people, that's why they're the leader. And so if you have underlings or you have people that are in secondary leadership or you have elders or uh, people that are supposed to be leaders in the church, that are just schmoozing and getting close to everybody, uh, but they're not pointing back to the leader and they're not pointing back to the church's vision, then they could cause a huge problem. And there have been many church splits. And believe me, 
A lot of times it is a leader who splits the church, a leader the pastor trusted, a leader that the senior leader thought would never betray them, who actually took half the church or more from the leader, the lead pastor. And so he would claim that he would give them justice. He would claim that he would represent them better. He kissed them. He gave them proximity. He gave them access. And his agenda was always one thing, not the good of the nation, but to steal their hearts. You know, people think stealing is just stealing money. You could steal loyalty. You could steal hearts. You could even be involved in emotional adultery where you could steal the heart of a husband or a wife without even touching them physically by showing them more attention than their spouse or by trying to be more understanding and you could, whether intentional or not, steal someone's heart and their loyalty where they'll be more loyal to you than their own spouse or their own children. So you don't have to just steal money. You could steal reputation. You could steal hearts. You could steal allegiance. You could steal the loyalty away from people. And that's why uh, lead pastors have to be very careful who they trust with the flock. And, of course, Absalom overpromised without even knowing what it was like to be the leader. A lot of people overpromise and underdeliver. Uh, it's a lot easier to lead from the background if you're not the leader. It's a lot easier to criticize the president, the mayor, the governor, the pastor, because you're not the one in charge. Uh, you, you, the one in charge is definitely going to make enemies. The one in charge is definitely not going to make everybody happy. Um, and uh, part of why they don't make everybody happy is their job is to challenge people, to, to bring them to a spirit of excellence. A leader who never challenges anyone is a leader who just wants to be a people pleaser. So it's easy for someone to steal hearts because there's some people who are going to be disgruntled or unhappy with the direction of the church or the organization or the ministry uh, because they may not agree with everything. And that's an opportune time to reveal the hearts and the loyalty of those around that leader to see what they will do when they sense someone's disgruntled. Well, Absalom went for it. Hopefully those in your life don't go for it, that they honor and respect you. And even if they don't agree, they will walk in Matthew 18 and be transparent with you. So those who desire power always overpromise. And uh, unless you have been in senior leadership, unless you've been a pastor, uh, unless you've owned your own business, unless you've had your own children, you have no idea how difficult it is until you're in their shoes. Verse 7, it says, After four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron, pay a vow. So he's just setting it up so that he could be in proximity to those that were uh, going to anoint him king. The, peace, the, the king said, Go in peace. So Absalom took four years. People who are betrayers caught people, and they oftentimes are smart. They don't rush. They will not make their move until they know they've stolen the hearts of enough key people before they make their move. Verse 11, And the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in, in number. And then a messenger came to David, told them the hearts of Israel with Absalom, and David knew they must flee for their life because Absalom would kill them. So after the hearts are stolen, the usurper's role will be to strike down the former leader. 
because he doesn't want a threat to his power. So they will try to get rid of that leader. Uh, in this particular instance, it was through physical death in a church. It's usually just through uh, defaming them, defaming their character, and uh, making them look like a horrible leader. Well, it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 18, we're jumping ahead, verse 9 to 15, that Absalom died because in the midst of the battle, he was riding his horse, and actually a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a, a great tree, and, uh, and his head was caught in the tree, and he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And the mule which was under him went on, and so he was just hanging. Joab saw him, it says in verse 14, and he killed him. He struck him dead. So it tells us that Absalom's head and hair was the reason why he died. His hair, as we read the narrative of Absalom, was beautiful, it was thick, it was a sense of pride. The head getting caught uh, represented the fact that he had a big head. Uh, the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. So basically here, his arrogance is what was his downfall. And people who brag about themselves, people who are betrayers, people who divide churches, people who take advantage of vulnerable relationships, people who steal the hearts of others, eventually they will fall because their own heart and their own arrogance will betray them. They think they're betraying someone else, but they're betraying themselves. Well, what was David's reaction when he heard about his son's death? 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1 to 8. Joab, who was the one who killed Absalom, and David didn't know it was Joab. He said, uh, someone told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as those who were ashamed, even though they won a great victory. And the king covered his face, and the king, meaning David, cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, my son Absalom. Oh, my son, my son, I wish I had died instead of you. Verse 5, Joab then came into the house and spoke to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who have saved your lives, and the, life of your, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and, and your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, it would have pleased you well. Now therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one of those of your people will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. So then the king arose and sat in the gate. And when he sat in the gate, all the people came before the king. And so we see here that the death of the son of David, Absalom, was victory for the whole nation. That's what Joab said. Again, this is all pointing to the narrative of Christ. Show that the death of a son being good for the nation is a type and shadow of how the death of God's son eventually brought victory for all people. But unlike God the Father, 
David grieved over the loss of his son, and his grief was greater than the love he had for his own people. Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son intentionally. So in that sense, David was different from God. But it's very, very similar in types and shadows. And so God allowed his son to be betrayed so you could have life. Jesus called Judas his friend when Judas kissed him because he knew that Judas was the one who was bringing him to the cross. He called Peter Satan when he tried to stop him from going to the cross, but called Judas his friend. Because even in betrayal, we could believe God has a redemptive purpose in it to make us closer to him, to be broken, and to see his deliverance. So as we end this message today, I want to ask you the question, do you understand the incredible death and burial and resurrection of Christ that came as a result of betrayal? Do you understand that God works all things for good for those who love him? Do you understand that no matter how deep your pain, God could use it the way he used the betrayal of Judas in Jesus' life? I want to pray for you right now because I believe there are many people who have experienced and are continuing to experience horrific pain because of betrayal. Perhaps it was a spouse who left for somebody else. Perhaps it was someone who experienced a church split. Perhaps your best friend um, stabbed you in the back. Uh, perhaps it's hard for you to trust anybody anymore. But I believe that through your brokenness and your pain, the joy of the Lord could come through today. Let him heal your heart. Let him bring you through a process that leads to hope and a new beginning with him. Father, we pray for everybody who's had their heart broken, every person who's experienced deep betrayal, whether it's from a sibling, a spouse, even a parent. Oh, God, uh, another leader in the church, somebody who's a close friend, somebody in their community. Oh, Father, we pray for those who have had their reputations robbed, someone is stolen the people's heart from them, or stolen their character by just talking bad about them online. Father, we pray for all those who experience character assassinations. God, that you'd heal their hearts, that they would not give up on their assignment, that like David, in spite of their own pain, they would keep on going. We believe in you, God, for restoration, especially during these times. Many people's hearts have been broken. Maybe they felt betrayed by you. Maybe they're blaming you because of the virus. Maybe they felt betrayed by the government causing such a shutdown, and maybe they think people are overreacting, and they lose hope in humanity. Oh, God, even those who have lost their businesses, restore hope, restore joy as they surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.